Thank you for joining us online this morning. If you have a Bible or whatever you use to see God's Word, turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. I think many of you would agree that this has been a year of testing. The COVID virus, virtual learning, gloom and doom political news, and, and some of you have had your own personal trials and testings. The year 2020 has not been kind. In light of all this, I guess my question would be to you, how has your faith worked during these days of trial and testing? You know, James has much to say about the testing of the times, and, and that's really what he's talking about in the passage that we're going to be looking at today. His basic theme and what we're going to be looking at today is be patient. He is on the way. And of course, he is Jesus himself. So if you will, uh, I'm going to give you the introduction as we begin. In Scripture, Jesus' return is described with three words. His revelation, which literally means His unveiling, His appearing, and His coming. The second coming of Christ is mentioned, when the reference to that is mentioned over 500 times in the Bible. The Bible teaches that as the return of Jesus draws near, that those days will be characterized as days of difficulty, deception, and defiance. And so followers of Jesus and churches will be tempted and pressured to follow the ways of the world. Now, James, again, is basically writing to an audience in the first century that is dealing with much persecution. Persecution is coming from every angle, from where those people would go to work to uh, when they would gather to worship, uh, from the government. It was coming from every angle. And he's basically encouraging these people to basically be patient, stand firm, and endure. The Apostle Paul basically does the same things in his letters. He writes in 2 Timothy, But you know this, that in the last days perilous times, or times of difficulty, will come. And then in Titus chapter 2, he writes, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Most all scholars agree that the second coming of Jesus is the next major historical event in Bible prophecy. Now, all that being said, what James appears to be telling us in the passage we're looking at this morning is that the Lord is coming and He's going to encourage us to look upward, look inward, and look onward. And so the first point this morning is the Lord is coming, look upward. And the first thing we see here is the, the dearness of His coming. Now, why would Jesus' coming be dear? Again, James is writing to those who are being persecuted. If you fast forward to the year 2020, I think many of us would say that this has definitely been a, a difficult year. Uh, that testing has gone on all around us. That, that our lives have been turned upside down to some measure. And again, as I said earlier, some of you have been dealing with some very personal things in your life of trials and testings. And then we can't forget that just like the first century, here in the 21st century, there are those who are out there who are being persecuted just like those days in the first century. And so if you begin reading, look here at the first part of verse 7 of chapter 5. He says this, in light of all that, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Now, this verse implies that we need to be prepared for His coming. Now, again, it's that dearness of His coming. We should look forward to His coming. Now, think about it. What if the president were to come to Shelby? 
I mean, think about that. And not only come to Shelby, maybe maybe they've arranged it that, that he was going to come and he's going to give a speech, maybe downtown, and then he's going to come to your home uh, to have lunch with you and your family. Uh, think about all that. Think about how special that would be if all of a sudden we would look into the sky here in Shelby, North Carolina and see Air Force One coming across and maybe landing at the Shelby Airport if it's large enough. I have no idea. But all of a sudden, the, uh, you, you have uh, the motorcade coming to downtown Shelby, the speeches over, and all of a sudden he's coming to your home. Now, I want you to think about that. For some of you, it may be frightening. <laughs> For others of you, it, it, it's probably be something that would just, you would remember the rest of your life. But it would be something that is, that is big. It's something that is big. And the Old Testament, days when a king would come to a region was just as big of a deal. It was one of those things in which the king is going to come and grace you with, the pre with his presence and, and maybe speak into that region. Now keep in mind that the coming of Christ is more than a doctrine. It is an upcoming event in Bible prophecy. Again, 1 John chapter 3 says it this way, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, our full potential. But we know that when Jesus is revealed, that is the second coming, we shall be like Him. That means there will be identification with Him. For we shall see Him as He is. So that language tells us that the coming of Jesus is to be dear. It is endearing. Now, James's audience, as I said, was facing persecution. But basically what he's saying is, in light of all this persecution, whatever you face, whatever you go through, whatever trial you may face, it will be worth it all in the end. It's kind of like that young mother going through nine months of of pregnancy, the misery, some of the discomfort, uh, and then the day of labor comes, the pain associated with it. But once the baby arrives, it's worth of all. It's worth it all. All the smiles, all the celebration begins at that time. And, and James, he's going to talk about some illustrations of how that coming could be, but this is definitely one way to look at it because it is so endearing to know that Jesus is coming, and it may come after the persecution, after the trials, after the tribulations. Now, the Lord's coming. He's saying the Lord is coming. Look outward. Not only the dearness of His coming, but the nearness of His coming. I want you to look at verse 8. If you look at the very end, it says this, For the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then if you look at the last part of verse 9, he says, Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, when you begin to look at this, this was written over 2,000 or around 2,000 years ago. And when you begin to look at these words, you begin to say, Okay, now wait a second. He's writing this, but yet he's saying he's near, he's coming. Now, of course, we're 2,000 years later. Where, where, where is he? Where's he been? Well, Many of us probably already know this, but God operates in time differently than we do. We operate on time. God operates on eternity. That means He's outside of time. He's not limited to time. So basically, when you look at it, you have the past, the present, and the future all at one time. It's not time, really, when you think about it, to God, it's really an unfolding plan. 
that there was something he began and there's something that continues and it will eventually unfold on his time schedule. So the point of this message is that he could come at any time. And the signs of the times are definitely with us. Now, what we know about his second coming, it appears from Scripture, and many would agree, that his coming would be twofold. There, first of all, he would come for his bride, which is the church, those who are believers in Christ, those who are followers of Christ. Then he will come again to make things right. So he's not only coming for his church, he's going to be coming uh, in that twofold promise of his return. He's going to be coming to make things right. He's going to set everything in order. Now, not only do we see the Lord's Lord is coming, look upward, but also the Lord is coming, look inward. Now, I think many of us would agree that if we knew Jesus was coming in the next 24 hours, we would probably do a lot of evaluation uh, of where we are with him. Uh, I mean, uh, we would probably definitely examine our hearts. So that being said, James is telling us to be prepared for his coming. And here's what I think he's really saying. I think he's saying something twofold here when you look at the context of the scripture we're about to look at. I think he's basically saying we should not only be ready for his coming, he could come at any moment, but we need to be prepared for the trials and the testing and the persecution that comes before he comes. And so to get through those things, this evaluation includes, I believe, four things. And the first evaluation we need to look at as it relates to ourselves is, am I long-suffering in my journey? In my journey of this life, am I patient? Am I long-suffering? In this passage, James uses the idea of long-suffering or patience six times. Look at verse 8. He says, you also be patient. In this context, it means not cracking under pressure. It means keeping calm under pressure without exhibiting frustration. It's basically the idea, the idea of the passage is to turn our frustration into anticipation. So, of course, we're facing trials and tribulations and those things. And he's basically saying, get the focus off those things and look with anticipation that Jesus is coming to set it all right. And so there's four things I want us to look at as it relates to four don'ts during the difficulty or during the trials, during the testing. And, and these, I believe, are something we could use even today because many of us, let's face it, many of us are struggling with inconveniences and different things that have come to our lives. So, so the first thing we see here is this. Don't focus on the situation or you will be filled with anger and resentment. So many times, and that's the way I was. I've already confessed this to you, that so many times, especially at the beginning of this COVID virus and, and all the inconveniences, and we would make a decision and the plan would change and all these things were out of our control. It became for me a time of frustration. It became for me a time of, at times, anger that was in me. And the whole thing was I was more focused on the thing that created the inconvenience, the situation, than I was on what God wanted to do through the inconveniences or the situation. Second of all, don't focus on yourself or you'll be filled with self-pity. Uh, another way of looking at it is discouragement. 
I don't know about you, but I've had to battle through some of that. I've talked to some of you, and many of you have had to battle through that, even through this situation we all seem to be going through. But he's basically saying, don't put the focus on yourself. Thirdly, don't focus on someone to blame, or you will be, begin to complain and become critical. Your, this crit, critical spirit will set up within you. I mean, so many people want to blame some, someone for what they're going through, uh, from, from, from those in government, from, from those who are around us that are making decisions that are uh, not convenient for us. We're always looking for someone to blame, and it creates a critical spirit within us. Fourthly, don't focus on the inconveniences of the present, or you will miss the point of what God is di desiring to do in your life through the situation. And that was true of me. At the very beginning, it was just frustration. But then all of a sudden, I began to, and God gave me a proper focus on this. And, and I've seen how God has stretched me during this time, just as many of you have told me that He stretched you. And it's amazing how God, when I begin to look at it, it's amazing how far God has carried me personally and challenged me and, and caused me to really evaluate, do I serve Him? Do I love Him? Do I, when things are just going well, but do I trust Him when things are not going well? Do I trust Him with my life? I know this did not touch us apart from the fact that He allowed it to happen. So there must be purpose behind it. Romans chapter 5, Paul seems to indicate that God is behind our trials and our testings and, and the difficulties we deal with. He says in verse 1, and of course this is the part we love, Therefore, having been justified by faith, it's that whole idea that Christ has made us right before God. As a result of that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to think about that. The Creator of the universe sends His Son in such a way that if we would receive His Son, follow His ways, repent, turn to Him, at that moment, with the Creator of the universe, we would be at peace with Him. Think about that. To me, that should be a peace, uh, almost like an umbrella that covers every area of our lives, that that peace would be there no matter what. But even Paul is saying, but there's times that we lose focus of this. He says this in verse 2, though whom we also have access by faith. That means there's a trust element to our lives that, that's accessed by our faith into this grace in which we stand. That means we, the foundation of who we are is that we're right before God and from there comes a peace that is accessible through our faith. And then he goes on, and not only that, we also glory in tribulations. Tribulations are trials or situations, difficult circumstances. We glory in that. And here's why we do that. Because we know that whatever we're dealing with, it produces a work that God wants to do in us. He says it produces perseverance and perseverance character. God begins to fine-tune our lives. It's, it's through that idea of making us more like Christ. We, we begin to mirror and reflect His Son. And he's basically saying from that perseverance is that character. And from the character comes the very thing that we need during a time of testing. Hope. Hope. And then he says in verse 5, Now hope, many commentators would say something like this. Now this hope that comes from this process, from the fact that we have peace with God, does not disappoint. And then he says, why? Why? Because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. 
And who pours it? Who's the representation of that love? Who brings that work within us? By the Holy Spirit. When you see the Holy Spirit in Scripture, here's what we need to understand. The Holy Spirit is the working agent who's working in and through us. That's the way God designed it to be. So He's working in and through us. And it says He's been given to us. Why has He been given to us? To, conv to convict us when we're wrong. That's what I needed at the beginning of this COVID virus. I had the wrong attitude. My, my attitude stunk. I, I, just, I, I didn't have my proper focus. He helped bring that. And through that, through me getting that proper focus, through him convicting me of that and bringing me to a certain point, he began to teach me this process that we see here in Romans chapter 5. Now, the bottom line is this. He is saying, be patient in the midst of your trials because God is at work. Next, not only am I long-suffering in my journey, but am I strong in my heart? Now, this language, or the way this is stated, is really talking about conviction. It's talking about the fact that we're resolute. Look at what he says in verse 8 again. He says, you also be patient and establish your heart. The word establish means to make stable. It literally means to fortify with steel. Now, think about that. There's a lot to be said about that. It has the idea of staying the course no matter how difficult, no matter what the opposition. Now, how do you develop something like that in your life? How do you make your heart strong? How do you make your convictions strong? When the winds of this world, when the temptations of the enemy, when the world is saying, no, move our way, when all that's blowing around you, which in this day and age is definitely there, how do you do that? Well, some would say that we can never underestimate the power of a good, quiet time with the Lord. Every day, just coming before Him to, to refocus our, our mind, to refocus our heart, to, to come to a period of evaluation on a daily basis before Him. That, that, we, uh, that we get into His Word, that, 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 that we learn to, how to overcome temptation and pressures that we pray regularly, that we turn to God for wisdom and discernment and His Word. Now, we cannot count on being strong when it is necessary if we have not disciplined ourselves with these godly disciplines. Now, the writer of this very book, some or this very letter, some years later, will be executed. So really, what he's writing to us are not just words. He actually obviously lived what he was writing here in these pages. Actually, James, from what we understand by historian in the first century, is the fact that he was stoned. He was literally thrown off the Temple Mount, is, is what we understand from history, which would have been a, probably at a minimum a 30 to 40 foot drop. And as a result of that, they began to stone him from that point. And at that point, he lost his life. What's interesting about Another thing that we find in other writings is the fact that James had a nickname, and his nickname was Camel Knees, which meant or implied that he prayed much. Many of his days were found on his knees in prayer before God. And so when the time came for him to shine, for him to have that strong heart, to have solid conviction about what he believed, to be resolute in that, he did, it was not a disappointment. He did exactly what God had placed in his heart. 
we not only need to be strong in heart, we also, this idea, am I sweet in my disposition? Look at verse uh, 9. He says, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you become condemned. You know, it's very interesting. Uh, I remember the early days of my ministry, especially when uh, I was called to do something. And, and I, I've got I to gotta tell you, many of the things that we're called to do in ministry has a lot to do with public speaking and standing in front of people and, and the gravity and weight of what you're carrying and you, what you're bringing to the people. And you know it's not going to be popular. Uh, and there's a lot of pressure with this. Uh, but I remember, and my wife can definitely talk about this, and even my children when they were in the home, uh, uh, knowing that I would have to preach on Sunday morning, uh, probably around sa Saturday around noontime, the, the weight and the burden of what uh, I knew I would have to teach and do would start weighing on me. And even my wife would say that my disposition would change as the days got closer, as the hours got closer to the moment that I would have to stand and speak. And, and she said at that time, she, she would probably, just like our kids, would not say that I was sweet in my disposition, that the, the nervousness and all that. Uh, but some years later, as God has matured me and God has done a work in my life, it, it's not nearly, near what it used to be. But, but I remember those times, and, and it seems like James is talking about the same thing. He's talking about the pressures of what we've been called to. That Don't let those pressures cause you not to be Christ-like. Don't let those pressures cause you not to have the fruit of the Spirit represented in your life. He's basically saying being sweet in disposition. Look at, the, look at the word there in verse 9. There's a word grumble. It means to groan inwardly, to be pushed in by pressure, to get into a tight spot. This tends to lead to becoming bitter, complaining, becoming critical, reacting in wrong ways. These verses seem to indicate that in the last days, Christians have the potential to be impatient, bitter, whiners, complainers, in their disposition. I came across this cute little story. There were two ladies out having coffee one morning when one lady asked the other, did you wake up grouchy this morning? And she responded, no, I let him sleep in. You know, she didn't, she, you know, the one lady was really referring to her disposition, not her husband's, but the, she automatically didn't see what her friend obviously saw. You see, the pressures of the times can bring bitterness, complaining, and a critical spirit. I want you to think back over these, this year of 2020. And again, we've already acknowledged it hasn't been kind to us. It's definitely brought its share of testing and trials and inconveniences. But I want to ask you a question. Would you, your family or those closest to you say that through it all, you've been sweet in your disposition? Uh, if your family's like mine, they probably couldn't say that completely about you. But you know something? And this is what I take heart in. I've seen God work in my life through this. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, there's days I'll, I'll, I'll have that critical moment. But you know something? On the whole, I've seen God work in my life in such a way that, that He's bringing things out in my life. And sometimes those things that He's bringing out during the trial and testing are not things that we really like about ourselves. But, but He's bringing those things to light. And it's like the Holy Spirit working in me, showing me things that were in there, that were deep in there. That, just like this lady, I had no idea that were there until this time came. And it's almost like I feel like He's refining me. And He wants to do the same thing in our lives through these trials, through these days 
of inconvenience. Next, James basically tells us to evaluate our words. And the thought here is, am I sincere in my words? Look at verse 12. He says, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Isn't it interesting that James would put this verse here? Of course, this is not the first time he's talked about our speech. Uh, it's not the first time. But really what you find here in verse 12 is some of the same talk about what Jesus even said on the Sermon on the Mount. And basically, someone said, well, what is he talking about here? He's basically saying, let your word mean something. Let your word mean something. And this idea that some people would say, um, uh, when you confront them, well, you said this. Yeah, and as kids, we used to say, yeah, but I have my fingers crossed. Or, or some people, uh, even in the business world, maybe times ago, would say, you, you know, yeah, we made this agreement. And someone may say, but we didn't shake on it. He's basically saying, let your word mean something. Many times when people get under pressure, they begin to possibly lie, manipulate through their words. They tend to start swearing and, and putting oaths, oaths out there. You remember the time where Jesus is talking about everything that would come upon him, the persecution, even his own death, and Peter yells out, Lord, I'm not going to let that happen. Over my dead body is basically what he's saying. And yet we find some moments later, days later, Peter is even denying who Jesus is. And, and, and one, on one occasion, he says this, according to God's Word, I swear I don't know Him. Now, don't let the times of pressure make your words insincere. Another way James says that we can misuse words, misuse words. I mean, think about our day. We live in a day when rhetoric has greater influence than the actual truth or the actual reality. I've looked at the word rhetoric, and one way in which it can mean is it's a speech or discourse that pretends to be significant but lacks true meaning, lacks truth. It's basically the whole idea that someone is capable of speaking something that is not true in a way that it makes it a real thing or it makes it reality. Boy, do we live in that day. We live in that day. And we hear it all around us. And we don't need to be caught up in that. Not only do we not need to be caught up in that, we don't need to, we don't need to pass those things forward. Uh, what we hear maybe in the news cycles and all that until we know what is actually real, what is real. Our, he's saying, let your words have weight. Let your words mean something. And boy, that's a challenge to me also in these days. He says, look upward, look inward. Thirdly, he says, the Lord is coming, look onward. I mean, think about where he's carried us so far. Be patient, be resolute, don't stop, keep on keeping on. And then he says, look onward. He's basically saying, look past yourself, look past your circumstances. And the way he illustrates this is with three illustrations. The first of all, he talks about farmers. And he basically says they claimed the promises of God. Look at verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brother, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You see, a farmer understands the laws of sowing and reaping. 
Seasons come and go. It's basically this whole idea of a process that takes place that God has preordained. In, in Genesis chapter 8, it says this, For While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. That's a promise from God. So this promise is what farmers hold on to. Now think about this. Do you have some promises that you're holding on to as you go through these difficult days? At times where it seems hopeless? Jesus, think about it, made a promise that He's coming again. He's coming again. It means two things. It means, number one, we're going to be with Him, but number two, He's going to make it all right. He's going to set it all straight. Secondly, James uses another illustration to express this point through the prophets. And he basically says, they claim the power of God. Look at verse 10. It says, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Think about what some of these prophets meant through. Moses had to lead a nation of two to three million people griping and complaining the whole way. Hosea, the marital problems that he had. Uh, Daniel being thrown in the lion's den. All of these had to rely and trust in the Lord and the power of who he is. How about Job? He's the third illustration that James uses. He claimed the purposes of God. Look at verse 11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now, I want you to think about this. And this should bring us comfort. Job was not perfect in his walk. He did complain at times. He got down in the dumps. At times he was filled with agony. And of course, if you had gone through what this poor man went through, you can understand it. But the word perseverance in verse 11 literally means that Job never quit. Job just kept going on. Job was not privy, however, to the information that we find in the first two chapters of the book that's named after him. He doesn't know about the conversation between God and the enemy. He, he had to think that God had turned his back on him, that there was no purpose to what he was going through, that maybe there was no God. I mean, all these things had to be right there in his mind. His wife even came to him and said, curse God and die, get it over with. But Job kept hanging on. How do we know that? Here's some things that he said. Though he slay me, I will still trust him. And then he also said, I know my Redeemer lives until the purpose was revealed. You see, when it was all over with, God blessed Job. He showed mercy. He showed compassion. In Galatians chapter 6, here's, here's a, a word for all of us, and it would have been a word for Job. Let us not get tired of doing what we know is right. For after a while, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. For Job, his greatest blessing came after the difficulty. Just on the other side, listen, of our trials may be a blessing. Don't give up. In the meantime, do what these have done. Claim the promises of God. Claim the power of God. And claim the purposes of God. As a way of application this morning, I just want to challenge you with this. 2020 has been tough. Many of you have not only dealt with what our nation's dealt with, you're dealing with personal circumstances. And so really what I want to ask you is this. You can either, or I want to state this, you can either be overwhelmed by the times or you can overcome the times. And really, you know, I like to think that I'm overcoming the times. 
Uh, why? Because that's the way God has described me. He basically says I'm more than an overcoming, uh, overcomer by what Christ has done in my life, is doing in my life, and will be doing in my life. And it brings us to this question. Are you looking for the coming of Jesus? You do know, again, as I said, it's not just doctrine. It's a coming event. And so I guess my question would be is, are you evaluating your heart on a daily basis that you can stand when there comes a time where you need to stand? Are you? Well, I'd like to close with this prayer for you. I just want to pray for you sitting right there where you are. And if you don't mind, just bow your heads, close your eyes. Let's just get before the Lord. And I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for you through what we've shared here this morning. Lord, I pray that those who are listening to this, that they not focus on the situation that they're in and be filled with anger and resentment. Lord, I pray that they not focus on themselves and be filled with self-pity and discouragement. Lord, that they not focus on someone to blame and develop a critical spirit about them, always complaining. But that, that they would not focus on the inconveniences of the present and miss totally what you're hoping to do in and through their life. Father, help them to be patient with your plan for their life. Help them to claim your promises found in your word that you will never forsake them, even through the worst of circumstances. Help them to trust in your power that's been given by the Holy Spirit. And lastly, help them to identify with your purposes for them. Father, we just pray that you would do a great work in our lives, even in the midst of all that surround us in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us.